As Gen AI reshapes industries, understanding and leveraging its capabilities is no longer an option, it's a necessity. And that's exactly why at Hatchworks, we developed our Gen AI Innovation Workshop. In this workshop, we immerse you into a full day of learning, hands-on ideation, and building. We hit foundational concepts and show you how they relate to your domain. Then we develop actual use cases for your business and your industry. And we even build a custom GPT based on the use cases we define. Check out the link in the show notes or visit hatchworks.com to get started today. Welcome to Built Right, a podcast by Hatchworks where we help you learn to build the right digital product the right way. In each episode, we'll deconstruct the layers of successful product development, break down popular trends, and offer real advice to help make sure your product is built right. We may not have all the answers, but we've built a lot of digital products across a lot of industries, and we've seen a thing or two. Let's get into it. Welcome, Built Right listeners. Today, we're chatting with Nisha Iyer, CTO of uh, Conote. Conote makes qualitative research fast and easy with its AI-empowered platform, helping transcribe, analyze, and organize user interviews. It's a tool built for user researchers, which at Hatchworks, that's a big part of what we do. So we can definitely sympathize with that type of tool. But welcome to the show, Nisha. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. And today we're going to get into how generative AI and more broadly, just the democratization of AI will fundamentally fundamentally change user research and more broadly user experience. Uh, but let's let's start off there. Like, Nisha, why why user research? Why this problem? What part of user research is broken or needs help? And how how's CodeNote looking to solve it? What gap do you see in the market right now? Um, yeah, great question. So just real quick intro. I, uh, my background is data science. Uh, I've been in the industry for about a little over 10 years. Um, and my last company, I was working at a startup. Uh, I've been there for five years and was, uh, had built a tech team and, um, had come to a point where we we're doing product development. So, uh, with product development comes user research, right? Like to build a good product, you need to understand your users. That's how you get to product market fit. Um, that is how you, you really build what people are asking for versus what you're building in your own head. Um, so we did a lot of user research there and, um, from, and I worked directly with, you know, like a small group that did the product development. One person was a UX, uh, designer and then, uh, engineer and a data scientist and myself. Um, and we did a bunch of user interviews and went through the process of distilling them and really pulling out insights. And it was tedious. It took a long time. It, um, took a lot more time than I had expected, you know, just from my technical background. And, um, I was pretty, uh, overwhelmed with like the amount of information that we had to consume. Like, you know, you do the interviews first, record the interviews transcribe them. And by the time you sit down to really distill what's what has been said, like the important themes, the important takeaways, you have to pretty much go through the interviews again and go through every transcription, you know, like the basic um, affinity mapping technique where you're taking post-its and grouping themes. And uh, it just takes a long time. Like it took, you know, a week uh, to two weeks because you don't have like that set aside time to just 
uh, dedicate to the distilling of research. And so what I found myself doing with my um, with my little team was just taking shortcuts, like uh, being like, okay, like I remember this, I remember that and being like, and then in like internally thinking like, this isn't the right way to do this. Like I'm a hundred percent biasing the, you know, I'm, I'm uh, biasing my findings by thinking like hearing the things that I really wanted to hear, obviously, like that's just human nature. Um, So what actually happened is that I had um, a project come up where uh, there was like some kind of commitment to do 20 interviews in a period of two weeks and then distill the research. And I was like, this is insane. Like from my experience with research, I was like, this is a crazy requirement. Um, And I, and I thought like, there must be some tool, like there must be some AI platform that does this. Like we, you know, we're at the age where this should be available. So I started Googling for it and um, I couldn't find anything. I was like, this is insane. Uh, So I called my friend at the time, my coworker, and now my co-founder, um, one of my two co-founders, and I was like, hey, dude, like, we should build this. Like, we can do it together. Um, called my third co-founder, and we all talked about it and all agreed that it was a huge pain point of, you know, not being able to synthesize research in uh, a speedy amount of time. And then also, like, just that that unbiased uh, synthesis, right? So that's how this came about, honestly. It's just from personal pain points. Um, which I think is a great way to build a product because you've actually experienced it and you're like, I want to use this to solve my problems. Yeah, no, that's <clears throat> that's a great explanation. And you, you're bringing me back to my, like my product days where we would do user research interviews and I would always schedule like an hour after the user interview to like debrief, go through it again. And it's like, you know, that's a two hour block there. And then to your point, you got to synthesize the whole thing. You forget stuff. You mentioned bias, but there's also recency bias where I'm going to remember the most recent interview more so than the other one. And then you have like for us, we would have these Miro boards that were just huge with all these insights. And it's like you're trying to connect the dots. It's it can get messy. So like I, I can I can feel that pain. It's it's uh, bringing back some some memories from those days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. hundred percent. It's just like, how do we and then and so like just to continue on, it was just like all like this journey has been quite serendipitous. Honestly, I um, ran into my upstairs neighbor and she now also works for Conote and or with us. And she was a user researcher. And I told her the idea. Oh, perfect. And she was like, oh, my God, like this is going to make my job so much easier. Right. And I and like I like um, I'll stop there. But I just want to like touch on that as well, because it's not like, oh, my God, it's going to take over my job. It was more like this is going to make my job so much easier. Yeah, and I love the point too. Like you're hitting on the pain points of the speed element, but there's also the quality piece with the bias. So there's some core like value points you're starting to hit on. But I was I was digging through uh, your LinkedIn and your your CEO uh, James, uh, and I'm, I'll mispronounce his last name. Frisia, Frisia, uh, okay. Uh, but he had this like interesting quote that was out there, a survey by user interviews. It said U- UX researchers were the most tentative of all roles to use AI with 44% saying they've tried to use AI, but avoid it in their research. But like by comparison, CX professionals at 5%, data scientists, 9%, product managers, 21%. Like, what, what do you think is the reason behind that? Why are you user researchers in particular, like less likely to adopt this technology that could potentially make things easier for them? 
I mean, honestly, I think it all boils down to like fear of the unknown. Um, if you look at like if it, 9%, right? Data scientists are 9%. Like we, most data scientists understand exactly what's going on at the bottom level, right? Like it's, we're, we're, it's mathematical. There's no like magic. It, it, there's a lot of um, inference um, based on similar words and, um, and words transformed into number numeric representations. And that's where like it all stems from. So I think like the number one thing is fear of the unknown. And, and then it, it just goes into like, I don't want this to take away my job. Like it's not do it. And then like, so then I feel like I would get on the defensive of saying like, AI cannot do my job the way I'm like better than me. It's not going to replace me. So I don't trust it. Um, I think instead, like where we could go with this is, AI is augmenting my job. Like I can actually focus on the important pieces versus like the tedious nature of things that I could actually like bring to the forefront using a tool that does what I would be doing over a week or two weeks in a matter of minutes, right? And then I can spend the time taking those insights and making more um, inferences and, um, and pulling more information out of it. I can also speed my research cycles up. So I think that like that, that fear, um, like we've heard it, you know, we do our own user research with Conote and I think it's just like what's going on under there. Like it's a black box. And, um, and I think that like the way that I would talk to people who had that fear is that it's not a black box. It's just, um, it's like something that I can, I can help explain and walk through. I think that would just get boring though, because it's super technical, but um, it is all, you know, it is all related to similarities and semantic understanding. And um, AI is also not here to take your job. Like, I will end with that. Yeah, and that's an interesting theme we've had across several uh, episodes we've done lately, is there is that fear of the unknown, that fear that it's going to take my job, that it's going to replace me. Uh, but this this idea of a co-pilot, <clears throat> it's enhancing my skills, it's making me better is a theme we've uh, continued to hear. And I was chatting the other day with, uh, uh, and I'm trying to to find the episode. Um, it was Brennan at, uh, and I think maybe that's episode 15. We'll see where it is, what it launches, but it's hyper context. They're solving this tool for one-on-ones and performance reviews. And they had the same kind of idea with HR was like, you know, AI cannot solve this for me. There's no way. But what was interesting is like with the latest, you know, just, craze over the past year, you know, chat GPT and all that kind of stuff, they were able to play around with it and get a sense of how things can work. And it kind of opened up their minds a bit. I don't know, has some of that happened with user researchers as of late, where we've had this crazy hype cycle with generative AI, where people see some of the power with it? Because I think with user research, it's, it's so qualitative. I think that's one of the big hiccups there as well. It's like, you know, this is, this is qualitative stuff. It's not ones and zeros. Uh, but with generative AI, it does, it, it adds that kind of semantic piece to it, to your point. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that there is a uh, growing um, acceptance and, 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 you know, like people want to use this when they start seeing the way that generative AI can augment their research versus take over. I think um, people are more accepting. Like, I think we just actually spoke to um, someone recently that's getting on the platform at a large corporation and they were a little skeptical at first. And then 
we introduced Konode as it gets you 85% of the way, right? It's not doing all the research. It's just getting you to a point, a jumping off point where then you can take those findings and build your own insights. And that helped her feel better. She's like, oh, okay. So it's not like just giving me this output. It's more so like giving me stepping stones to get to that output. And I think um, when put like that, researchers seem to be more open to um, using the tool or using products like this, like any kind of generative AI products. Um, you know, there are a couple out there in the market that seem to be um, getting some kind of traction. Um, I can talk to those later, but like, I, I do think that like, it's like, and still in like the early adopter phase, right? Like people are still like weary and we have to show people at Konote that like the reasons why um, they should be using it. And I think that's like, you know, like what we're doing for that is building a lot of user education, um, showing people how they can use the tool to augment their research um, and giving examples like within Konote of how you could do that. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of product. And then getting it to the marketing problem where they may be problem aware, but not really solution aware and trying to migrate them down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, l- let's get into like kind of short-term <clears throat> evolution of how AI can impact user research versus like longer term. And in the short term, I'd be curious, and this may be even be like functionality within CodeNote or stuff on y'all's roadmap. Like what, what's the short term view of how generative AI or AI in general uh, is helping the user research process? I mean, is it simply just churning through this long interview and it's spitting out the insights? Like, where do you see it today? And then like, what's like the crazy, like, you know, utopian future of what it could be in the future. So right now, the power of Konote lies within, you know, like we are actually moving pretty fast. We released our, uh, our initial beta live uh, June, July 18th. And we've already had a couple releases since uh, the big, powerful generative AI piece right now, or so like, I just want to take a step back, like we I don't think Kono is 100% generative AI. We have layered models. We do use traditional machine learning um, layered with a couple of like large language models. Um, and I think to that extent, like there's already like power, power there. And that's why we call it an AI engine versus like just like Gen AI, right? Um, and what we're doing, like the big powerful piece right now is that you can upload hours of research. So multiple interviews. And then you can synthesize. So not only can you synthesize, you can transcribe the interviews and see the transcriptions, uh, see the diarization by speaker, and then highlight key quotes. You can then synthesize your interviews. And in under 10 minutes, you will get the key themes um, and then the keywords within each theme. And those keywords directly relate to sentences within the transcripts. So let's say like I get four themes. I can click into those. Um, I can then see where each speaker, like if I had five interviews, I can see where each of those speakers said that mentioned that theme. I can then click into detailed view where I can actually hear the speaker saying it so I can get sentiment. Um, And I can also, you know, bookmark this and build a presentation that I can send out to a stakeholder uh, that may be interested in like some of the key quotes that were said over, you know, like eight hours of interviews, which is uh, usually would take, as you know, usually would take so much more time. Um, So yeah, I'll stop there. That is our current like big bang of um, our AI engine. And we definitely have some uh, other plans ahead, but just wanted to stop for any questions. Yeah, it's an interesting point too. You mentioned 
like generative AI is, it's, is the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the hyped up word right now, but like machine learning and you as a data scientist knows like there's some of this stuff's been around for a very long time. This is not necessarily yes. a new thing, right? And there's so much power just in like machine learning and a lot of the things, uh, there as well. Um, and, and I'm curious too, you know, it seems like every day there's another gen AI, you know, product coming out there. Like, how do you see differentiating when, you know, I feel like a lot of this, the tools with AI have been a bit democratized to where people have access to these large language models. You kind of mentioned that's not the only core point to your, your tool, but how do you build a moat when it's so much easier now to integrate some of this technology into a tool? Like, how do y'all think about that? I think we have to really think about the user, right? Like, sure, everyone can access these APIs and build and integrate them into their product. Are they actually thinking about the UI and the UX? Like, that is a key piece of Conote. Like, you want to have, and as you know, like, also being in product, like, you want to have a uh, really intuitive, like, journey when you get to an app, Right. Uh, so you could integrate an API and build like all the tech and be amazing and stacked and everything. And if you're building a SaaS product and don't have like an intuitive front end, people are just going to stop there. Like they're not going to know how to use, get from point A to point B. And what Conote, my, uh, so I have James Frisha as a CEO and co-founder. And then my third co-founder is Cameron Ridenor and he's a he's chief design officer. And so his background is UX, right? And so not only like we live and breathe these problems, we get in touch with people that live and breathe these problems. We have people that also work with Konote that do. And um, I think that our moat is um, a like that we're not just simply consuming APIs, right? We have other pieces of um, infrastructure around them on the AI side that actually enhance and empower us to be a little ahead of not a little, a lot ahead of some of these, these gen AI companies that are just simply consuming and using prompts um, for some of these APIs. And then secondly, like just the fact that we have um, such a deep understanding of the user and are, and are focusing on that when building our product, right? Like the experience, the interaction with the app. And if you, if you're listening to this and are curious, like please go check out Konote.ai. Um, it is live and free and uh, Matt, I'm not sure if you've if you've checked it out, but like uh, when you do when you know when you're on the application, like uh, compared to um, many other competitors that we've checked out and tried out, like there is a very simplistic like flow to get to the pain point that we're solving for, which is really being able to uh, speed up your research process. Yeah, I think part of the the benefit there is you're very focused in on a particular type of user, which is user researchers, right? I think so many folks, and we see this with a lot of clients too, they're trying to serve too many different people. And, and then you get into back to user experience. How can you build, you know, a, a, a not simple, but just intuitive user experience when you're trying to serve different groups? Do you have even within user researchers, a, a persona within that that you're targeting? Or is it user research is kind of the, the core? Like, is there a type of user research you're even more granularly focused in on? Um, maybe not a type of user research per se, but definitely a type of user researcher that is, um, you know, 
uh, interested in synthesizing multiple interviews and has a research cycle they can't keep up with, um, or potentially, you know, like where I'm trying, where we're trying to drive people is the fact that research is more important than people give it. Like it takes so much time. The research cycles are longer than development cycles, right? Like I, like if I'm thinking about dev, I think of CICD and DevOps. In CICD and just in general agile principles, a sprint is two weeks. Uh, there is in no way that like researchers think they can finish a research cycle in two weeks. However, with Kono, you could do a week of interviews and then synthesize and be done and ready with new with new uh, findings for the next sprint. And I think that is a missing piece in the entire like end to end process. Like. I have tirelessly worked with development teams and like led engineering and data science teams. And the missing gap is that they don't get the user. They don't understand thoroughly like the user research part, right? Like they, it's like a game of telephone, like 10 people have spoken to each other before the engineering team hears what they need to build. And they can get so in like, uh, you know, like just in deep in the rabbit hole of like, Hey, this is how we're going to do it technically and not be thinking of like the actual user problem. And that's where I really want to like you, that's where Kono comes in, right? Kono gives you the ability to ha add continuous research to CICD. So like in my, in my mind, it should be CRCICD. Like that should be instilled in the development process. No, I love that. And, and you're speaking our language. When we talk about built right, we talk about building the right digital solution the right way. And building the right one, it's a key element. It's user research. And I love the the concept you're talking about where it has to be continuous. And this is what we preach as well. Like so so much of the time, it's like, all right, let's go do our research. All right, discovery's done. Let's go build the thing. Uh, but you have to, it has to be built into the process. So I love that idea of it's, you know, you think of CICD. Same type of thing. You need that feedback loop built in as you evolve the product. Uh, it seems like y'all are kind of, you know, dogfooding it a bit by using the product yourself. I'm curious, like, how much of the roadmap are y'all, like, defining as you use the product versus feedback from customers? Uh, I, we try to definitely take more of the customer's feedback just because they're using it as, like, as their customers. But, like, I do have to say, when I... Like I listened to a podcast recently and I was like, started to listen to it. And I was like, let me just put this through Kono and see what happens. And it just was able to distill like the key points so fast. And going back to like the roadmap ahead you were asking about um, in our next release, actually October 13th, uh, there's a really cool feature coming out that's called action items. So now not only do you get themes like that have been synthesized during the process, but you actually get the items that to action on, right? So like, this is what your users have talked about. These are the actions to take. That came from us using it and from feedback. Like, I think like, I wouldn't say 50, 50. I'd want to say like more like 70 users, 30 us, if we had to put a ratio to it. Um, but I think we end up all seeing, like the great thing is we, I think we all end up like coming up with very similar pain points. And um one of the main pain points we heard is like, this is great, but it doesn't give me items to like where I need to go next. Um, so, so I ran the initial, like the first round of Kono interviews we did before user interviews we did before we had um, started building our product, right? We had just like a, a prototype. Um, I ran those interviews through uh, on dev through um, the action items feature, like with that to see what the action items were. 
And it actually gave me action items that um, were the features that we ended up building, like, which is crazy, right? Like it told us like users want audio recordings, users want uh, ability to like integrate with Zoom and Google Meets. Like, so um, I think that's, that's like, I kind of got off on a tangent, but uh, that's what happens when I get excited. <laughs> I think that's something that we've heard from users and from we've also experienced that we're really excited about. Um, and then, yeah, like, I think it's cool that we get to use it um, as we do our process as well, because it definitely makes us realize like, what is like, you know, like sometimes you can just be drinking from the fire hose. Like you think of really cool ideas, but we use it and we're like, this is annoying. We need to change it. Like we spot the little things too. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good mix. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And, you know, getting into the, um, let's get into like the future state, like, you know, way in the future, you know, where do you see the practice of user research going if things continue to evolve where AI is continuing to evolve? Like, is there a future where it's not even a real person doing the interview? And like, do I at some point in the future have a an agent or a bot that's, you know, collabing with somebody else and performing this research? Like, do you ever see a future where it looks like that? Like, what is where does your mind go when it starts to wander of where things could be way in the future? I mean, I don't know about like, yeah, like great point. And I think people like wonder about that. But like, for me, I think there's like a degree to personal interaction. Like, if you were a bot interviewing me right now, I feel like, sure, maybe like, in some years, there will be AI that's able to rep replicate each of us very well. But I do think like that human to human interaction is important in being able to, you know, like, what 94% of cues or like communication is nonverbal, right? Like, I think there's a lot to uh, process that's outside of just like a conversation that I'm sure AI will be able to replicate. But I don't know if I'm like, yes, like, we want to make everything computer like, like, you know, that like in the age of AI and just take away the human element. I think more so like the way I see Konote evolving in the future is being able to scale across, right? Like, not like becoming so um, so focused on like automating the entire user research process, but being able to scale to all types of research. So like as like to be able to reach product market fit and to really understand our target audience, we want to focus on user researchers right now. But to be able to like scale, I think where we go is just redefining all types of research, right? Like how do we help in the political space? How do we help in academia? How do we go into like specific types of research. Um, and I think that's where I see Kono moving. Like that's where we're going in the future and not like, I don't think, I don't see us adding a component where like we're going to build in AI bots that like <laughs> interview people or, um, and so like, once again, like that's, that's why I feel like we're not taking away anything. It's more just like, let's augment the cycles so that people can be more productive and be up to speed with development teams. Just like, like I just read uh, someone posted today about Copilot, like the code AI, right? And just telling um, engineers that Copilot is something people should lean into. They can automate so much of what they're currently doing, like some of the like tedious, like granular uh, code writing that like you don't necessarily need to spend as much time on and can focus on the bigger picture. I see that exact parallel to um, to co-note with user research. Yeah, that's a great, 
connection point there. We're using Copilot a lot at Hatchworks and it kind of just gets the mundane out of the way so you can think about the bigger problems. But I, I want to pause here like for all the listeners, when you're thinking about product strategy and product in general, the way Nisha and team are doing it is a perfect example. They're solving a specific use case for a particular user and user researchers, but you can also see where her mind's going in terms of like tangential other areas where they could move into in the future. But you kind of build this, uh, you know, this base with user researchers first, and that allows you the opportunity uh, to expand further out, but you got to do that first. So that's a great way to think about it. Don't try to boil the ocean, solve mm -hmm. something specific first. But is there an area, you mentioned a couple, is there one that you think is like, oh, this is definitely where we're going next? Uh, from, you mentioned like the political side, like these different areas. Is there one that excites you outside of just traditional kind of, you know, product technology solution user research? Yeah, uh, I, I don't think I can say that like there's one, like I think there's multiple, right? Like this, people have already been using Kono for marketing use cases. So I think that's probably like, the next place to really go, right? Like, hey, we want to distill all of these uh, these interviews or these uh, podcasts and find the key quotes. Um, and this is going to help us be able to like make our marketing campaigns faster, just being able to pull these quotes out and having people saying them. So I think that's a place that we can really like either you be used right now or expand to immediately. Um, I think political campaigns could be really cool because as we're coming up also into a big year, like I think just hearing a lot of like if people, you know, like if there's campaign interviews, um, being able to distill those and, uh, and then once again, like play clips, depending on uh, whoever we're working with. Um, and then I think that academia is uh, close to my heart and also a really great space to be able to use this. Like, let's say you're a master's student working full time, which I was, um, and, and you have like multiple lectures, right? Like that you have, you have gone to and then are recorded. Imagine being able to use Kono to upload these lectures and then to just be able to find the most important themes and use this to study. Like, I think this basically is with some tweaks, of course, right? Like we're like, once again, like you said, like we have focused on user research for a reason. Um, and I see this being expanded into like a line of products potentially, or, you know, Kono academia, Kono marketing, that kind of thing. But um, just imagine being able to like, take your notes and be able to like have like an easy way to to like search across like hours and hours of lectures um I, that would have made my life so much easier honestly when i was doing my masters um so i just think like yeah those are like some key areas that i'm excited to focus on i don't know if like one will come before the other i think we still have to like really nail this initial uh product market fit and uh group down uh, but I think that th there's like the exciting thing about Conote is I feel like there's so much room to grow and there's like so there's so many things that I want to act on, um, which makes me feel excited about it. Nice. Well, I think that's a good stopping point, Nisha. Uh, thanks for being on the Built Right podcast. And where can folks find you, find Conote? What's the best place to go? Uh, you can email me at N-I-S-H-A, Nisha at Conote.ai. Uh, and you can also just check out Conote. Um, it's live. You get five free credits. Uh, go test it out. Email me. Let me know what you think. So our website is Conote.ai. Uh, and then from the website, you can log into the app. Um, so it'll take you straight straight there. And it's pretty easy. So yeah, we'd love to hear from you all. 
Awesome. Great having you on, Nisha. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to Built Right. If you enjoyed the show, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review. For more info on Built Right, visit us at hatchworksbuiltright.com. Do you already have a Gen AI use case in mind for your business, but don't know where to get started? Hatchworks Gen AI Accelerator is exactly what you need. We guide you from ideation to a tangible prototype. Our approach provides a low risk, high value pathway for you to validate and test Gen AI technology on a small scale before committing to full production. We take you through technology and LLM selection, perform data preparation, and then build the actual prototype. And then we do testing and model fine tuning of your prototype. The best part is we get you to this prototype in just two to eight weeks based on the scope of your use case. Check out the link in the show notes or visit hatchworks.com to get started today.